Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Partners in Health and Biz with your host, Gail Dixon. Tune in every Saturday, 9 a.m. for great shows about obtaining and maintaining health, business, and finance. Learn from the experts here at PIHradio.net. And now, broadcasting from the Partners in Health and Biz studio, here's Gail. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm your host, Gail Dixon. Welcome to the Partners in Health and Biz radio show. We are broadcasting this morning live from our Columbia, Maryland studio. Our topic today on Partners in Health and Biz is addressing minority mental health as we recognize July as Minority Mental Mental Health Awareness Month. First up, a little news you can really use. In Baltimore, Maryland, opioid addiction continues to kill Marylanders at a record pace, with fentanyl driving the increase in overall doses in 2017 and in the first quarter of 2018, according to new statistics. An increase of fentanyl mixed with cocaine accounts for the increase in drug-related deaths, while the number of fatal heroin overdoses in Maryland appears to be decreasing after increasing exponentially every year since 2011. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is more potent than heroin, and contact with just a few grains of the powder can be fatal. While Maryland is starting to see a decline in heroin-related deaths, fentanyl-related deaths continue to rise in staggering numbers, said Maryland Department of Health Secretary Robert R. Neal in the news release just this Thursday. In the first three months of 2018 alone, he said, we've seen 500 fentanyl-related deaths. We're asking those with a substance use disorder to immediately seek treatment and for more individuals to learn how to use and carry naloxone. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But here to address this topic this morning is my special guest, Dr. Kim Jones-Fearing. Now, Dr. Jones-Fearing is a board-certified general psychiatrist in the state of Maryland and has practiced psychiatry for over 20 years. She completed medical school at Howard University and her residency training at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Her treatment philosophy is that emotional problems should not stand in the way of living a rich, fulfilling life. Dr. Jones-Fearing believes that although the decision to seek help is a difficult one, the good news is that the vast majority of people can be helped with psychotherapy counseling and or medication. So without further ado, I'd like to open up the microphone for Dr. Kim Jones-Fearing and welcome her to Partners in Health and Biz. Good morning, Dr. Fearing. How are you? Hello, Gail. How are you? I'm great, great, great. Good to have you. <laughs> so, you know, this topic that we have this morning, um, suicide, well, not suicide, uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, July is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we're hearing so much on the news. People are committing suicide, and depression is going up. So we would like to uh, ask you, as a psychiatrist and professional, why is the suicide rate going up? Could you tell us, do you have any information on that? Well, that's a very good question, Gail. I don't think everybody, I don't think anyone knows the entire reason why the suicide rate is going up. 
but we do know some facts. Uh, overall, um, since uh, 1999, the suicide rate in all 50 states, except with the exception of Nevada, uh, have experienced an increase in the suicide rate. And uh, it, it is approximately, in half of the states, it has gone up uh, more than 30%. And uh, the other half of the states, it's, it's gone up by uh, overall about uh, 25%. And, uh, and Nevada was the only exception. They had a decrease in the suicide rate of about 1%. However, their rate of suicide is still overall higher than the other states. And um, we just don't know all the reasons for it, but we also know that the um, the uh, death rate from opioid overdose has also gone up. And uh, and there is at least one study out of Johns Hopkins, the Bloomberg School of uh, Public Health at Johns Hopkins, that has shown that the opioid, the death, the death rate from opioid overdoses. Um, the the death rate uh, from suicide has been shown to be has shown to the reason. Uh, well, it, let me put it this way: the number of people who have opioids in their system at the time of suicide has doubled over the past uh, over the past two decades. Wow. And so okay. we think that they may be actually linked. Um, and another um, possible reason for the increase in suicide rate is that in the United States, we have seen a a rise in the suicide rate, whereas all of the other uh, developed countries, they have actually seen uh, a uh, deterioration, I mean, excuse me, a decrease in the suicide rate. Mm-hmm. Um and so we think that it it may have something to do with the way that we deliver care in this country. Um, so that may be part of the reason. Okay. So so the suicide rate is going up, and the rate of drug overdoses are also going up. Um, so do you know why the rate of drug overdoses? Are going up, and I'm, I'm, I know that the two are connected, but um, the rate of drug overdoses are going up as well. So, what what is causing the actual specific rate? And that's for a this? very good question. Um, over the last over the last approximately five years in Maryland, the rate of uh, drug overdose deaths has has increased, and that's in spite of Many, many, um, many, many tasks that we've undertaken as doctors and uh, in public health, we've uh, created a uh, prescription drug monitoring program so that um, what happens is when when people are getting uh, opioid-based prescriptions, it's being tracked. And it's being tracked so that doctors can realize when people are starting to get in trouble, uh, when they're um, when they're starting to receive opioids from different doctors and uh, different healthcare systems, 
that normally uh, may not have a lot of opportunities to communicate with one another. And um, we've been able to intervene and detect better when people are having problems. And we thought that that this would be helpful since it has been shown um, to be helpful in other states. But what we're finding in Maryland is that even though we've instituted the prescription drug monitoring program, um, what we've seen is an increase in the overdose rates of opioids. And what we think might be happening is that when people are being um, uh, noted to be receiving multiple drugs from different doctors, instead of the, the problem being addressed, uh, what's ending up happening is patients are often discharged from treatment, and what happens is then they, in theory, they may be going to street drugs instead of uh, receiving drugs from their doctor, and the street oh, drugs okay. can be laced with fentanyl and all other kinds of impurities, and we think that may be leading to overdose deaths. And another thing that we notice very commonly in psychiatry and public health in general is that when people uh, do receive appropriate treatment, uh, rehabilitation, uh, the minute the as soon as they get out of rehabilitation, that is when they are the most vulnerable to uh, overdose from opioids because their tolerance level has uh, decreased dramatically as a result of being clean and sober um, mm -hmm. over the month or several months that they're in uh, rehabilitation. So that can be actually um, the most vulnerable time for them at the time when they leave the structured program of rehabilitation. Oh, so, okay. So we wow. think that That's... people are going to street drugs when they uh, are um, are no when they no longer have access to the drugs they may be receiving from their physician. Hmm. Okay. So that's uh, I see the connection then between these two statistics how how they can be related at some point if someone is going um to street drugs and and they're um not getting the proper medication and then I guess they get to the point where they get depressed and then uh then they turn to suicide so I can yes. see that the the connection there, yeah, yeah. And so. I think in in our community as well as uh, all across the nation, all communities, all races, um, everyone knows someone that has at some time in their life had a uh, drug addiction, and how that play usually plays out is when there's a person who has an addiction in the family. There's often um, drug-seeking, uh, crimes committed, um, people turn to stealing or other crimes in order to support their habit. And in doing that, they often end up abandoning other family members or other family members uh, start to reject them due to due to their baggage and and their um, 
their dishonesty, and all of those things are actually part of the disease of addiction. And the best approach is to treat the entire family, not just the addict. The the, right. the entire family needs to be treated. Um, and uh, there are self-help programs that are available that I will talk about later in this segment, um, okay. such as Naranon and uh, other programs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at this point, I would like to give out the call-in number to Partners in Health and Biz. You are listening to Partners in Health and Biz. I'm your host, Gail Dixon. My special guest is Dr. Kim Jones-Fearing, psychiatrist, and the topic is Minority Mental Health Awareness, Addressing Minority Mental Health Awareness. The call-in number this morning is 347-945-7433, 347-945-7433. And uh, so, Dr. Fearing, understand, we understand that um, there seems to be something going on, a difference in how people are treated, and we hear the word health care disparity. What is a health care disparity? Okay. Um, health care disparities are preventable differences in the burden of disease, injury, violence, or opportunities to achieve optimal health that are experienced by socially disadvantaged populations. And so what that means is that there is more morbidity and mortality in the African-American and Hispanic communities than there are in the majority populations in this country. And, um, and also there, are, there is less access to health care, um, particularly mental health care, and we don't always know the reasons for all of these differences, but we, but there are uh, several programs um, that are set up to, to do research and try to find out what kinds of things work in order to decrease these disparities. And some of the things okay. that are effective is having a mental health provider that is very familiar with the culture, the differences, and where the problems are um, in, in health care delivery. And that often comes from a person who who is um, from the same culture, understands the culture, and, for example, someone who grew up in the area, you know, we we might we might say someone who grew up in the hood mm-hmm. or someone <laughs> right. that <laughs> or someone who has has um continued to have an interest in working with underserved populations. Uh right. that can also be very helpful in okay. uh bridging gaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you think causes these health care disparities? Is there, have uh, any studies shown what specifically is causing the health care disparities? Well, a, a major cause of the health care disparities we know is racism. Um, 
racism in in the form of um uh socioeconomic disadvantages um less um access to education educational um advantages and also um actually just the experience and trauma of racism uh can actually physically cause a decrease in someone's health status or a deterioration in health status. For example, there have been studies, um, various studies out of Harvard and uh, um, and other uh, very uh, uh, well-known institutions that have proven mm-hmm. that uh, there is a um, in, uh, an increase in um for example uh abdominal fat okay. in our in our okay. family we call it belly fat <laughs> right uh-huh <laughs> um that is re- as a result of racism and um uh constant um uh microaggressions and other uh experiences that are uh, beyond the person's control and um actually um those related, studies have right? shown that this is related to the hormone uh cortisol uh is produced when when people are under stress and right, right. uh that causes uh, a gathering of you know abdominal fat and okay. other and that can lead to high blood pressure uh high cholesterol uh high fats mm-hmm. in the blood and also can lead to uh diseases such as strokes and and uh, other problems heart problems okay. so that's so that's you, one way mhm yeah that i i see that we see that in our community um you know that there are the, are these differences and uh like you explained it uh what causes these healthcare disparities but they affect they affect minorities and um, they affect African-Americans and Hispanics and, you know, different types of minorities more so than um, the overall general population of um, non-minorities. And I wanted to backtrack a little bit because we're talking about uh, minority mental health awareness and um, addictions. But what exactly you hear all the time, opioids, can you describe what exactly the meaning for opioid uh opioids are? Is it prescription drugs mixed with um street drugs or is it street dr- drugs or what is actually the definition of an o- opioid? Um that's a good question. Well, opioids are basically medications that are derived from the uh, opium plant. And um or or medications that are manufactured on the street that have uh the same properties and the same uh or similar chemical structure to uh the opium plant so uh uh derivatives so oh, okay. basically opioids are anything that causes a um a a type of um intoxication or a high uh that uh you know it causes a very pleasant 
um, feeling of well-being, mm-hmm. and um, and it also depresses the um, the adrenaline uh, rush uh, in 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 various organs. For example, okay. when a person is intoxicated with opioids, they might have a um, a decreased rate of uh, respiration, um, a, 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 a slowing of the heart rate, and um, and other functions in various parts of the body are uh, lessened. So they the the, the medication actually. Um, it just causes a very pleasant, euphoric experience, and that is why it is so addictive. Oh, okay. Now, um, what are some of the signs? Because, you know, sometimes people wait and they make up excuses for not getting treatment or not seeing problems in their loved ones or friends. But, um, Dr. Jones-Fearing, what are what are the signs that someone well before we before we um get to that but the question is what are some of the signs that someone is in need of mental health before we do that I'd, I'd like to have a brief word from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back hold please let's be creative with Carrie caricatures by Carrie available for weddings parties anniversaries corporate events and more children's book author superheroes Cartoon illustrator, logo and graphic designer. Contact Carrie for your customized creations. Caricatures by Carrie at gmail.com. Connect on Twitter and Instagram with hashtag CaricatureCarrie and check him out. www.CarrieGJohnsonDraws.com. And we are back. You're listening to Partners in Health and Biz. I'm your host, Gail Dixon, and my special guest, Dr. Kim Jones-Fearing. The topic this morning, addressing the minority mental health crisis. And so we're going to just uh, keep moving along. And Dr. Fear, uh, Dr. Jones-Fearing, again, what are the signs that someone is in need of mental health treatment? That, that, that's, a, that's, a, um, that's a very good question. Um, People uh, often suffer from uh, milder levels of just feeling, they call it feeling down or feeling blue. Um, Everyone knows what it's like to lose a loved one or be very disappointed. There might be some tears. But when um, when this feeling of low mood, depression, continues beyond a month or two, uh, in time, or when the person starts withdrawing from people that they had normally had uh, contact with, or they start um, they start uh, having lack of enjoyment and activities that used to be very pleasurable for them, hobbies, activities, going out, they start isolating themselves. Or they start also having problems functioning uh, at work or uh, functioning in the home. Those are signs that okay. uh, that a person needs to seek mental health treatment. And in children, it can be it can be tricky because um, there are so many factors involved with with children that um that 
interfere with really detecting problems. Children tend to be less less verbal uh, in terms of knowing really that there is a problem. So okay. it 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 really it's it's dependent on the parent to notice any changes in their behavior, like a child that used to like to go out for ice cream with the family is all of a sudden not wanting to go out um or um someone who used to like sports is all of a sudden not not participating not wanting okay. to get up uh or or an academic problem where there had okay. not existed one in the uh, prior okay and a lot of people say you know to will say to someone who is addicted or on drugs, you know, why don't you just stop, you know, using drugs? You know, you're you're ruining your life. Why don't you just quit? So why can't people just stop using drugs on their own, Dr. Fearing? Well, that's 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 the uh the million dollar question. <laughs> and right, and what and you know, the the problem is what most people don't understand is that drugs that are addictive um, whether they're physically addictive, like heroin, or whether they uh, or, or you know are associated with a physical withdrawal syndrome, such as heroin and um, and other drugs, or or are they um, are they mainly um, uh, causing uh, emotional problems and maybe some physical problems, like for instance. Um, there are drugs like uh like cocaine and methamphetamines that that cause uh they you don't you don't really treat those with specific medications for the withdrawal okay. however um people really We're do down suffer to four physically. minutes so I do want to get the rest so, of a few more questions yeah yes. okay. so mm-hmm. basically basically. Drug addiction is a medical problem. It's a medical disease, and mm-hmm. it has to be treated by treating the the not only the person with the addiction but also the family. Okay, okay. So, are there any medications that a person uh, that can help a person stop using street drugs? And pretty much, uh, yes. Are there any medications that uh, can help a person stop using? Yes. Drugs? If a person has an opioid addiction. Um, there are several drugs that that have been approved by the um, Food and Drug Administration that are helpful uh, in decreasing the withdrawal. And uh, Suboxone is one of the newer ones. And uh, Suboxone can be given in a, in a um, physician's office, and um, and it uh, immediately um, works within minutes to stop the withdrawal symptoms and uh it's a um it's a film or a pill that uh is uh dissolved under the tongue um and it goes directly into the bloodstream and it blocks the receptors um that that uh lead to the cycle of addiction and withdrawal and okay. uh it it's not just the pill that's going to help it's it has to be also given with um with uh uh treatment such as 
uh, therapy, counseling, and or self-help groups okay. in order to be effective. Okay, great. So can you tell us... Uh, can you tell us how people can contact you uh, if they need help or what should they do if they need help uh, with um, with any type of mental health illness? Where can, you, uh, where can you direct them? Well, I would recommend that, um, that people, if they think they're having a problem such as addiction or a mental health problem, the first person they should see is their their primary care doctor. Their primary care doctor already has a relationship with them, and their primary care doctor can refer them to a mental health um, facility uh, or a professional that uh, that they feel will be the most helpful for the patient at that particular time. And oftentimes the uh, primary care doctor can uh, get them started on... Um, medications such as antidepressant or um, medications that might help them uh, with their addiction. Okay. And how can people contact you? We're down to 60 seconds here. (laughs) Okay. They can contact me uh, at uh, the clinic where I work in Baltimore, which is New Vision, uh, or they can contact me if they're in Columbia area, uh, they can contact me at my private practice number, which is 443-545-3822, and, um, and I will be able to steer them in the proper direction. Wow, wonderful information. Thank you so much, Dr. Kim Jones-Fearing, for being my special guest on Partners in Health and Biz this morning. This has been very informative. Um, so if Anyone would like more information, you can also visit the Partners in Health and Biz website, www.partnersinhealth.biz. I'm your host, Gail Dixon. Until next, until next Saturday, stay healthy and business savvy. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Fearing. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm.